T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Good morning and welcome to the Morning Briefing for Friday, June 1st, 2018. I'm your host, Eric Dame. Jake Hughes is your producer. And coming up on today's show, we're going to speak with the CEO of Team Rubicon, Marine Corps veteran Jake Wood, about a partnership between the well-known Veteran Disaster Relief Organization and Jack Link's Beef Jerky. We're going to talk to them about their Fueling the Frontlines campaign, which kicks off coming up here very shortly, why they got together and why it's so important to revisit places that may not be in the headlines anymore, but are still suffering the effects of natural disasters. We're also going to speak to the VFW's Ken Wiseman about burn pits. This is a topic that's gaining steam on Capitol Hill and around the country. He's going to be testifying at hearings on burn pits and we're going to talk to him about what that testimony will contain and why this is such a major important issue so that and more coming up on the show today and of course coming on to the show right now is super producer jake hughes jake good morning how are you i'm doing fantastic eric how are you i'm good so i woke up uh on the couch in the living room i fell asleep at some point early last night, have no recollection of falling asleep. I, I remember thinking, I should probably go up to bed soon. And then the next thing I know, my alarm's going off in my pocket at at early dark 30 this morning. Wake up there and, you know, that's fine. Get ready. Go uh, stop to get my normal breakfast sandwich and coffee on the way. Come to find out it's National Donut Day, so I got a free donut in addition to that. That's always a good thing. I want a donut. Well, you should have gone to the donut place. Uh, I don't need a donut. It's so. National Donut Day, so you can go uh, throughout the day and get a free donut. In fact, I think if I went through there again on the way home, they'd probably offer me a second free donut because they didn't take my information. They don't know who you are. I did pay with a card, so maybe they're keeping track of it that way, but I highly doubt it. Dunkin' Donuts is to... notorious for... For logging information. Yeah, that's very true. So we, uh, uh, you know, my my son does have a lot of different costumes, so I figure I can go 15, 16 times. I can be Captain America. I can be a Viking. Uh, there's an Iron Man mask that we have. Uh, oh, a ninja costume. You remember the one that he wore that made him a quote-unquote knight when we went to medieval times? Yes. It's actually a ninja costume. I could probably throw that one on there. Uh, fake mustaches. I think we have a couple of those. So I'm, I'm saying I could get at least a I dozen would donuts. pay... To see your 30-something-year-old 5'10 body in your 5-year-old's costumes. I, I can fit into most of them. It's not comfortable, but, you know, I can. So that was a uh, that was a nice uh, start to a Friday, which is always a nice day. Because, hey, it's the end of the week, and what a fantastic week it's been here on The Morning Briefing with some great interviews already. Still one to come with Team Rubicon founder Jake Woods, or, sorry, Team Rubicon CEO Jake Woods, I should say. That's coming up in just a little bit. Uh, as I said, they're teaming up with Jack Link's Beef Jerky to uh, basically go on a tour and stop at a bunch of cities, finishing up down in your hometown in Houston. We're going to talk about that a little bit more as the show goes on. Got any plans for the weekend, Jake? Nope. It's going to be awful weather from what I'm seeing this weekend. Really? Us. Last night was horrible up where I live. 
a torrential downpour. I went to go pick up dinner. Uh, we got sushi last night. Neither my wife nor I wanted to cook, so went up to our favorite sushi place, and on the way home, it was raining on the way there. On the way home, it got so bad that it, I was at a red light. Some of the people at the red light, when it turned green, just didn't go. They did not want to drive in this rain. It was coming down so heavy, and it was a little bit difficult to see, but I was able to power through it. As I power through it, I get near the entry to the uh, the uh, the development where we live. Lightning hits the uh, the traffic light pole right in front of our development. No kidding. Oh, yeah. Like maybe 200 yards away from me. It came down. The sound was immediate. Of course, you know, that whole thing like, hey, count the seconds between uh, seeing the lightning and hearing it. And that's about how many miles it is. Uh, you know, between you and where I think it's an old wives' tale. Uh, there's some accuracy to it. It has to do with the, the speed of sound and how it travels uh, significantly slower than the speed of light. Anyway, it was immediate. It was right there. I saw where it hit. It either hit on that pole or hit a tree up near there. But it was uh, it was like whoa. It was one of those things where I, you react to it and you go, oh boy. Uh, when I get home, I'm getting out of the car very quickly and running into the house. And I did, but uh, bad weather this week, and we have a birthday party for uh, uh, one of my son's schoolmates. Congratulations to my son as he graduated yesterday from preschool. Oh, awesome. He's still going to be there for another three weeks, I think, because for some reason in our county, the summer programs, like summer camps that we've got him in, they don't start until three weeks after the school year comes to an end <laughs> in the county, which kind of seems silly to me. But uh, he's going to continue on there. But they had a nice little, you know, graduation ceremony um, yesterday, where the kids performed a song and did all sorts of little adorable things. So that was that was nice. Although it does bring up the question: like, do we really need a graduation from preschool? There's like, a graduation for everything, man. At every step of the way, we had to make the kids feel special. He didn't go through any testing. <laughs> it's just he was there, <laughs> and then now he's done. Next year, he'll be in kindergarten. They'll probably have a kindergarten graduation next year. I don't know. We'll see. But uh, it, it was nice to see him participating and doing what he was supposed to in it because previously most of these uh, preschool things where they have, you know, performances or whatever, he'd just kind of do his own thing. Although he is my son, so he took over uh, unbeknownst to the announcer as they were announcing each kid individually as they came in. He announced a couple of the kids before the announcer did. So, yeah, you know, thrown out like, and starring Amor, which is one of his classmates coming through. And that, yeah, it was, it was pretty adorable. But yeah, this weekend, I don't know, a bunch of rain, got to find stuff to do, which actually brings me to our first topic this morning. And that is a new story on connectingvets.com. They call them, uh, well, here, they call them BIMBYs, Benefits in My Backyard. I didn't know what that acronym stood for the first few times <laughs> I heard it. I was like, what's a BIMBY? That sounds like an insult. It sounds like, hey, man, you're a BIMBY. Isn't that that movie about the deer? Bambi. Oh. Yeah. Which is a horrifying movie. Bambi's mother gets killed. Spoiler alert for a 35-year-old movie or whatever it is. Uh, Way older than, than 35 that, years. Yeah, it's like 50 years old. Anyway, uh, yeah, it's a horrifying movie. But Bimbies are benefits in my backyard. And it's a series on the website done by our own Jonathan Copanger, uh, who is oftentimes covering things like benefits coming from the VA. Jonathan's a former VA employee, so he's got some inside scoop on that. He's got some contacts over there that he's able to reach out to on some of this stuff. This one, though, that's up on the site, the latest one for all the parents out there or the people just looking for a good time. Jake's not a parent, but Jake likes a good time, doesn't Jake? 
What is I? <laughs> I was distracted Jake's, by the TV. Jake's looking up at the TVs and checking out the news headlines, making sure we don't miss anything. Uh, it appears that uh, some people on TV have said some bad things about other people on TV. Uh, I could care less. Yeah, really. But for all I know, it could have been, it's you know, actually, the North Korea summit. I have to look. Improper grammar. I couldn't care less. As someone who is very particular about grammar, I could care less means, well, there's a way that I could not care about this as much. I could not care less means you're at a baseline and there's no place to go but up as far as how you uh, care about it. So there's your grammar lesson. My favorite is irregardless. My Alpatoons aren't love to say irregardless. <laughs> yeah, my favorite uh, grammatically now is people who don't understand contractions, like could have, is a contraction of could and have, and it's spelled could apostrophe V-E. I swear I see at least 50% of people on social media think it's could space of, the word of, O-F. No, that's gibberish. It doesn't mean anything. Could have, apostrophe V-E. Come on, man, this is basic stuff. I think too many parents bought hooked on phonics for their kids because phonics is not a good way to learn how to uh, no. be grammatically correct. It really, really isn't. But the people who uh, created that product made a killing off of it, so good for them. They probably don't need to know about this Benefits in My Backyard story about summer benefits, amusement parks and beaches specifically. So Jonathan wrote this article, and you can go and check it out on ConnectingVets.com. And, of course, follow us on social media where we are at Connecting Vets on all of the big social media platforms. So there are some Big benefits out there if you're looking for something to do. Now, the Disney parks, they're not cheap. We've been there before, my family and I. My son, we went down there. I guess he was about two. We went to uh, SeaWorld. Oh, start writing your complaint letters now about me going to SeaWorld. But yeah. I enjoyed going to SeaWorld. So what are you going to do? Uh, we went to Disney and we went to, oh, man, Bush Gardens. That's the other one that we went to. Disney is not cheap. It's expensive, but it's they, they do it very well. It's an amazing place. Uh, it's one that I hadn't been to for probably, I don't know, 25 years before we went, uh, when we were down there for my grandfather's 100th birthday. Um, they do love the military over there, according to Jonathan. If you book your tickets online or through the MWR office on military posts, the military and veteran discount it's, it's cheaper, and it doesn't end there. So if you go in the parks, you can keep asking about, you know, any veteran discounts that they have. And there are things like uh, Shades of Green. That's where you can go to find a place to stay while you're visiting. So you can save a lot of money on Disney. Jonathan's got all the details in the story. Universal Studios, a veteran or military ID. So like that uh, Department of Veterans Affairs veteran ID that I still Hypothetically haven't. exists. Well, they say that they've sent them out, but I still don't know anybody personally who has one. I know that Joe Schinelli, executive director of AMVETS, was one of the first people on the website when it first happened, oh, months ago. And... Still hasn't received his. So he put in for it, still hasn't gotten it back. Anyway, any proper veteran or military ID takes $3 off the ticket price at the front gate for Universal Studios. It's not huge, but it's $3 that you could spend on something else. That's like a half a hot dog yeah. at a theme park. But uh, the discounted rates are not available at other ticket offices. So uh, you basically have to uh, to go to walk up to the gate there at Universal Studios. It's not something you can get where they sell uh, tickets elsewhere. Six Flags. This is one where they have places all across the country. I remember there was a theme park in uh, New Jersey when I was growing up called Great Adventure. Well, it's now Six Flags Great Adventure. As Six Flags took over a lot of yeah. those. Down in Houston, there was uh, Astro World. And now is it called Six Flags something or other? No, it was Six Flags Astro World, oh. but they shut it down. Oh, it's closed. Well, that's sad. I guess I never been. Oh, there. it was sad. It was tragic. It was like the it. whole city felt it. It was yes. 
Yeah, the bad. theme park I remember being shut down was uh, Action Park in New Jersey, where like 15 people died every year. That's a slight exaggeration, but a bunch of people did die. It was very unsafe. It's actually a movie coming out starring Johnny Knoxville that's loosely based on Action Park. <laughs> it kind of takes it to an extreme that looks pretty, pretty good. But at Six Flags, a proper ID will get you a 20% discount at the guest services center of any Six Flags park. Uh, you can also go through MWRITT if you're uh, if you're if you have access to a base like Jake who's a retiree you can go on base go to those places and get an even better discount on your tickets so 20% just walking up to the guest services center of any Six Flags park even more if you do it through MWRITT on base Cedar Fair Parks. Now, I'm not familiar with Cedar Fair Parks. Are you, Jake? No. Have you ever heard of them? Well, let's try to find out exactly what these are. Who we are, our parks. So I'm trying. Oh, it's one of these websites where you have to scroll down. Oh, Dorney Park and Wildwater Kingdom, King's Dominion. Okay, I do know a bunch of these. Knott's Berry Farms. These are, uh, there's a bunch of them all across the country. California, Great America, Cedar Point. I think I've been to. That's in, uh, it's in the Midwest someplace. Worlds of Fun, Oceans of Fun, Michigan's Adventure. So there's a bunch of these places over all over the country, and you can get discounted admission to any of their 13 parks, and you can get up to six additional tickets at the same discounted rate as well. So yeah, you're talking Great America, King's Dominion, Knott's Berry Farm, which is out in like L.A., um, there are also some other ones like Hershey Park in Pennsylvania where you can go and you'll get uh, $20 off re- regular admission and $4 off of junior or senior tickets too with a military appreciation coupon. There's a link in the story. The Santa Cruz Beach and Boardwalk. Oh, I'm familiar with that because yeah. I have relative, I have a lot of relatives in California. Uh, we went out there on a trip, my mother and I, when I was like 13, and my cousin uh, Court lives out in Gilroy, California, which is the garlic capital of the world. They took us to the Garlic Festival, which was kind of cool, except for the garlic ice cream. Don't ever put that anywhere near your mouth. It's the worst thing. I've eaten the uh, shark, the rotted shark in Iceland that is cooked by burying it in the ground because of the geothermal activity up there. It cooks it, quote unquote, over a period of months. Uh, It's rancid, rotted shark. Anthony Bourdain called it the worst thing he'd ever eaten. I would rather eat that than garlic ice cream. Oh wow! Yeah, it's that bit. Like the garlic ice cream is so horrible. So if you wanna, if you if you're one of those people who's like crazy and wants to do something like that, go ahead and have the garlic ice cream out at the Gilroy Garlic Festival. When you're done with that, you can go over to the Santa Cruz Beach and Boardwalk where they have like one of those old wooden roller coasters. Which okay, it's not as tall as like the uh, what was the one at. at Six Flags Great Adventure. I think it was called like the Scream Machine, the Great American Scream Machine or something like that. It's not as big as that. It doesn't have the loops or anything, but it's so old and so creaky that you get on it and you're like, oh, this might be the scariest ride I've ever been on because I feel like it might actually collapse underneath me. It never does. Yeah. Did you know that for the longest time, Six Flags over Texas in, uh, I think it was in Dallas, had uh, the largest wooden roller coaster in America, the Texas Giant. You see, the one at Santa Cruz is called the Giant Dipper, and it is the fifth oldest roller coaster in the country down at the boardwalk there. It's also nice. You're just on the beach in California. Um, While you're there, you can also find... Here's here's a fun thing. You're a movie fan, Jake? Yes. Pulp Fiction. Did you like that one? Oh, yes. You know when uh, Julian or Jules and uh, and Vincent, they, they get the blood all over them and they have to 
put on other clothes. Yeah. I believe it's Vincent who's wearing a UC Santa Cruz banana slugs um, <laughs> t-shirt. The banana slug is the mascot of University of California, Santa Cruz. So while you're not at the boardwalk, there's all sorts of UC Santa Cruz banana slug uh, paraphernalia down there. You can cosplay as Vincent. Uh, you have to grow your hair out. And if you want to be Jules, you got to get some Jerry juice and put it in there. But yeah, it's uh, it's a it's a fun place. It's a nice place if you're out there. Dollywood for any Dolly Parton fans in the world. I've I've heard things about Dollywood. I don't know how many of them are true. This is in Tennessee, of course. It's it's a theme park devoted to Dolly Parton. Uh, they have a special military ticket that you can get at the gate, and it's a thirty percent discount. Holiday Worlds in Splash and Safari in Santa Claus, Indiana. Wouldn't it be kind of cool to live in a place called Santa Claus? Oh, yeah. Or North Pole. If your name was Santa Claus and you lived in a place called like North Pole, Missouri. What's your name? St. Nicholas. That would be be great (laughs) to be able to send those out. All right. So they have a discount to military veterans and Gold Star families. You get $12 off the entrance fee for adults, $5 for children and seniors. And this is just the amusement parks. There's also two uh, beaches. Um, There are, it's a list of some of the best beaches around the country. Did you ever get stationed anywhere near a beach while you were in the army? No. No. Yeah, see, the army, man, you guys just don't have the great duty stations that the Navy nope. does. You know who's got it even worse? The Air Force. They've got like one or two places like uh, Cape Canaveral down in Florida and, and, and other places like that. But oh, so there's like Minot, North Dakota. Yeah. Oh, boy. Some places you can get stationed with where I don't like to be too far from the ocean for too long as a kid who grew up on the water. The best beaches by military base outside the U.S., the Army actually does have some there. Now, Rota, Spain is listed there. That's a pretty good one. Camp Darby, which is in Italy, good beach there. Although, every time I went to the beaches in Italy, the water was just kind of dirty. They don't take care of the trash over there the same way that we do. In fact, while I was in, oh, geez, I think it was while I was in Sicily, maybe while I was in Greece or Jacksonville, I don't know. But anyway, in Naples, Italy, the trash workers went on strike and the trash there were pictures of trash piles like where you would normally drop it to be picked up that just stacked up like 25, 30 feet <laughs> high, and it went on for months. And the people I knew who were stationed up at there uh, during the time in Naples, uh, they were not particularly happy with that. But yeah, what are you going to do? And then in Okinawa, for all the Marines and sailors stationed over there, Okuma Beach and Recreation Center made the list. Uh, best beaches by military bases in the U.S. In Florida, they list Pensacola and Key West beaches. It's hard to argue against that. In Virginia, Fort AP Hill, run by the Army. They've got some uh, pretty good things over there, and they've got some discounts going on for rooms at, like, Naval Air Station, Oceana's Dam Neck Annex, and things like that. Uh, And, of course, Camp Pendleton, San Diego, is just a beautiful place where I went out there for an old Navy buddy's uh, wedding. That was the first time I'd really been to San Diego to see the town. I'd been to San Diego passing through a few times, spent like two weeks there, but all always on base. Getting to see that town, going out deep sea fishing, you know, doing a little exploring, checking out the restaurants and stuff like that. I think San Diego may be the only place in California that I could live. Too many things I don't like about Los Angeles, San Francisco. San Francisco, the weather alone. When I went there, uh, same trip where we went to um, Santa Cruz, we went to San Francisco in August, and I had to wear a jacket. It was like 55 degrees, cold, rainy, and windy in August. No, 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 no. San Diego, you go there, it's 85 degrees all year (laughs) round. You get a sunburn in January, which can be a really good thing. 
I never got stationed there. A lot of sailors do. I spent most of my time within the states, all of my time within the states on the East Coast, you know, Norfolk, Jacksonville, places like that. Uh, the West Coast sailors all spoke highly of San Diego. Even if they didn't like their work out there, they loved the area of San Diego. It's an expensive one, but if there were some place that you could live or you could have been stationed at, but you never got to be, where would it be? Alaska. Really? Yes. Why Alaska? Because I, well, for one, I love the cold. Second, I went, I visited Alaska when I first got out of the army. I went on a cruise in Alaska and it's just a beautiful country. You know, they have, it's a good state to live in. And I just really wish I could have been stationed at Fort Wainwright in Alaska. Yeah. There's not much up there for the Navy anymore. There used to be. And the, the Air Force, I think, has a couple of things up there. Uh, they do have to keep an eye on the Russians because yep. the Russians have a tendency to enter United States airspace around Alaska because uh, for all the, uh, the, jokes that people make about sarah palin uh for one she never said she could see alaska from her backyard that was tina fey who said that easy to get the two confused there are places in alaska where you can see russia it's literally right over there uh, if you don't believe me just go watch like alaska state troopers when they fly out to some of the more remote places they'll be like oh yeah it's russia right there you can see it that little place um it, it's a busy place for the military but it's, it's also, yeah, it's just one of those places I've never been. But, you know, they make so many TV shows about it because everybody, I think, wants to go and check it out at least once. You got to. You did a cruise. That's the only kind of cruise my wife says she would be willing to take. Well, because I don't like tropic weather. And as, as we saw <laughs> last Sunday at Rolling Thunder, my pasty flesh doesn't last long in direct sunlight. Mm, so, mm. Well, don't have to worry about it this weekend for us. It's going to be nope. raining all weekend. I prefer... Uh, I prefer the cooler weather. I particularly love the cold. I just really don't like the heat. When it gets to 103 degrees, uh, I always say I can always put on more clothes, but I can only take off so much before I get arrested. Yep. There you go. I got plenty of cool jackets that I can put on in the wintertime. Summertime, eh, I got to take my shirt off to be cooler. And as uh, same, No one similar, wants to see that. Well, no one wants to see it, especially me when I get sunburned like I did last week. I put on sunblock, and they were like, my family was looking at me saying, why you put on sunblock? We know you did. My wife was like, your back is all sunburnt. I put the sunblock on your back. What happened? I don't know. I guess we just got a dud sunblock or whatever. But if you're going out to those beaches, you definitely want to put some sunblock on. But if you're near a military installation, remember, there are some amazing beaches out there. See, they missed one place that I was stationed at. And there are a lot of negatives about this place that uh, that I can tell you about. Again, another place where they do not take care of the garbage. Every weekend, there would be a community relations project on Guam where sailors and airmen would go out and, and go to these what should be beautiful streams, rivers, and valleys, these tropical jungle areas that were just used as a dumpster for residents there. So we'd go and clean those out. But some of the beaches on that base, like Gab Gab, that's the name of a beach on uh, Naval Station Guam. I highly recommend if you uh, get the chance to go check it out. Some great diving, and it's only accessible to the military, their guests, and veterans. So, you know, I'm going to have to talk to Jonathan about that. Like, how are you going to put Camp Darby up at Livorno over Guam? Come on, man. We got tropical. What about Hawaii? We got all sorts of places. Out. I'm now angry at Jonathan Copanger over his, his besmirching of the great Navy beaches. Maybe. He just wanted to get the Army and Marine Corps and everybody else in there. Do you think that was it? It was in the interest of fairness? Maybe. Yeah. You got to remember, you know, the, the largest service uh, is the Army, then comes the Navy, then the Air Force, then the Marine Corps. Uh, so we got to include them as well, right? Yeah. Include those Army Include guys. the little guys. 
and the Air Force guys. And again, they have some pretty good beaches down on. Uh, I remember going to. Uh, we held a retirement ceremony for somebody at Cape Canaveral or wherever the Kennedy Space Center is. There's an Air Force base down there. It was fantastic. Also fantastic today's show that we've got coming up for you. We're going to talk to the VFW about burn pit legislation, and there's going to be some testimony taking place on Capitol Hill coming up, and we're going to talk to one of the people actually testifying at that. We're also going to talk to Jake Wood, the CEO of Team Rubicon. He's a Marine Corps veteran who now works to help veterans help those affected by natural disasters like The hurricane down in Texas that just hit last year, Hurricane Harvey, Hurricane Maria in Puerto Rico, which after a revised count we just learned the other day, you may not have heard about it because the news was more focused on uh, what a television personality said on Twitter. It's now the most deadly storm in, in the history of America. And, you know, Puerto Rico, it's not one of the 50 states, but it is a United States territory, just like Guam and just like some other places. The death toll for Hurricane Maria down there now higher than anything. It's higher than Superstorm Sandy. But there's no time for that because Twitter, Twitter, and Russia, and all these other things. Yeah, you wonder sometimes about what people are focusing on. Uh, you don't have to worry about us. So we're going to be focusing on the military and veteran issues of the day here on the morning briefing and overall at EntercomsConnectingVets.com. Connecting vets every day what we do and the best way to be kept abreast of what we're doing follow us on social media where we are at connecting vets on facebook twitter instagram and youtube little click of your mouse little tap on your phone and you can be living your best veteran life with all of the great information coming out from people like jonathan copanger who has his summer benefits in your backyard for amusement parks and beaches and oh so much more you're listening to the Morning Briefing Friday edition. I'm your host, Eric Dame. Jake Hughes is your producer, and we will be back right after this. Helping military veterans stay connected. We make it easy. We're CBS Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting vets every day. Online and all over social media. Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. At Connecting Vets. Welcome back to the Morning Briefing Friday edition. I'm your host, Eric Dame. Jake Hughes is your producer. And ConnectingVets.com is your website. And we mean that. Created by and staffed entirely by veterans and for veterans. Focusing on that veteran experience. The benefits that you need to know about. The items that you should know about. The legislation that you really, really need to be informed about. And oh, so much more. Including just cool stories like Navy veteran and Naval Academy football player Jesse Awuji now driving in NASCAR. We've got that. How about Green Beret veteran Jason McCarthy, founder of Go Ruck, who is now putting together a community built around ruck marching. Something that I think most soldiers would think, I'm never going to do this after I get out of the military. Well, guess what? 700 people showed up to their first Star Course 50-mile ruck march in Washington, D.C., and they've got 10 more taking place all across the country throughout the rest of the year. You can find that story and so much more by visiting us at ConnectingVets.com and also by following us on social media where we are at ConnectingVets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. 
As the tornado, wildfire, and hurricane seasons ramp up, Jack Links is joining forces with one veteran-led nonprofit organization to help communities still recovering from natural disaster weeks, months, even years after those disasters struck. Team Rubicon and Jack Links will embark on a 1,300-mile journey over the next two weeks to create awareness for the issue, complete service projects for communities in need, and raise funds for Team Rubicon and its mission of ongoing disaster relief. We're joined now by Team Rubicon CEO Jake Wood, live from Rubicon's headquarters out in L.A., with details on how we can help fuel the front lines. Jake, good morning. How are you today? Uh, Good morning. I'm doing well. How are you? Well, I'm doing pretty good, and I'm glad to get the chance to speak to you after seeing all the great work the Team Rubicon's been doing over the years. First, before we move into that, I want to tell people a little bit about you. So, Jake Wood served in the United States Marine Corps, that much I know, but tell us a little bit about your time in service, you know, the, the Cliff's Notes of your time serving in the Marine Corps. Uh, sure. Um, you know, my time in service was, was not all that unique. Uh, Three million men and women have served since 9-11. I was just one of them. Uh, I enlisted in the Marine Corps after college, uh, serving in the infantry and eventually in the scout sniper unit. Uh, spent some time overseas in Iraq and Afghanistan and got out after four years. When you think about that transition process after four years in the Marine Corps, moving on to something else can often be a difficult transition for every one of us who's worn the uniform. It seems sometimes particularly difficult for my friends in the Marine Corps because of uh, that devotion and that singular focus that you have in the Marine Corps. What do you remember about your time when you left the Corps? You know, getting out of the Marine Corps is a tough choice. Uh, everybody has to make that choice at some point. Uh, some, well, I guess sometimes it's made for them. Um, you know, after four years and a couple of hard tours, I, I had to decide whether or not I wanted uh, war to really define my life and who I was. And so it was hard for me to, to walk away from the mission and to walk away from uh, the Marine Corps. But, you know, I, I did it. I uh, didn't quite know what was going to be next in my life, admittedly. Um, but... You know, very quickly thereafter, we, we launched Team Rubicon, and, and that really kind of filled the void. And my wife likes to say that I actually kind of never left the Marine Corps because what I ended up doing was uh, so similar in so many ways. Um, so my transition was certainly different than many people. If there were one piece of advice that you think you gained during that transition, moving from the Corps to veteran status, that you could offer to your fellow Marines as well as soldiers, sailors, airmen, that you think might be helpful, what would that one piece of advice be, that one lesson learned? I think, you know, the biggest thing is just to attack your transition. Um, you know, the, the, in the military, you thought, uh, you know, to have a bias for action, to be ferocious in the attack. And I think uh, veterans should not walk timidly into their transition. They should they should go at it uh, with tenacity. And you know, if you can do that, if you can really throw yourself at it, whether it's in getting an education, finding a job, uh, relocating, uh, if, you, if you tackle it with that same tenacity you have on the battlefield, you're going to be okay. And you know, beyond that, it's really about where are you going to find that purpose in life. You know, you can go and get the best job um, that you could possibly get with your resume upon getting out. Um, but that job may not have that same noble sense of purpose you felt uh, while in the military. So you have to find it somewhere. I, I encourage people to look for that early and often, and once they find it, to, to really latch on to it. Of course, you found your sense of purpose with Team Rubicon. So, Jake, tell us about Team Rubicon and where the idea for the organization initially came from. Yeah, so Team Rubicon is a veteran-led nonprofit organization, and what we do is we recruit, train, and deploy military veterans for disaster response work. So over the course of the last eight years, we've grown to about 80,000 volunteers across the United States. 
who responded to about 250 disasters in communities around the United States and around the world, uh, really trying to bring to bear that skill and experience that those men and women gained while in the military, and at the same time restore that sense of purpose and build for them a new community uh, that helps them in their transition. Um, you know, we've had a lot of success over the years, and it's really due in, in large part to uh, the training and the experience that we gained uh, during our time in service. Of course, in the last year, I can think of just off the top of my head, three or four major disasters that I know Team Rubicon has been involved in. But are you guys also involved in some smaller scale things that might not be making, you know, the evening news that people might not know about as well? Yeah, I think it's actually really important to to point that out. You know, people hear about the Hurricane Harvey. They they hear about the Hurricane Maria in Puerto Rico. But, you know, there's a disaster happening every week in this country. And just because it's on the front page of the New York Times doesn't mean that it's not devastating its community. So a lot of the value that Team Rubicon finds itself adding is in these smaller, often rural communities across the country that don't maybe have the resources to respond and recover on their own. And that's why this partnership with with Jack Links is so important. Uh, We can't forget uh, all of these communities that have been destroyed by disasters. We can't forget about the lives that have been turned upside down and you know, we launched Fueling the Front Lines to, um, to really bring awareness to that and make sure that nobody is being left behind for separate stuff. We're speaking with Jake Wood, CEO of Team Rubicon. Now, Jake, you just mentioned Fueling the Front Lines, which is about to kick off a two-week journey across the country to help communities still affected by natural disasters. I moved down here from Long Island, where they're still feeling the effects of Superstorm Sandy, even, what is it now, five years later. Can you tell us more about Fueling the Front Lines and what you hope to accomplish during this two-week nationwide tour? After Fueling the Front Fueling the Front Line is a company-wide initiative at Jack Link. They've partnered up with Team Rubicon to, to really bring awareness uh, to these communities who have been devastated by these disasters, you know, helping, you know, by partnering with Team Rubicon, helping to, to rebuild these lives and restore these communities. Um, you know, we're kicking it off today. Uh, we're doing a 1,300-mile journey from Minong, Wisconsin, all the way down to Houston, uh, where, you know, on, on uh, in June we'll be partnering up, rebuilding some homes of people that, lost them during Hurricane Harvey. Um, it's, but it's really about bringing awareness. How is it that we can ensure that these communities aren't left behind after the cameras leave, uh, you know, after the, the news stories, and um, certainly these people are still struggling to put their lives back together, and how can we partner up with Jack Link to make that happen? I know, of course, Team Rubicon was heavily involved in the recovery down there in Houston and really the efforts that uh, I I would almost count as pre-recovery, where things were still so dangerous down there. Of course, you know, the news cycle moves on as it does from everything. Have you been uh, still in touch with people or even down to Houston recently and seen uh, how they're dealing with the effects of those storms from a year ago? Yeah, so Team Rubicon has remained heavily engaged in in communities surrounding Houston uh, as well as Puerto Rico. Um, we, you know, had about 2,000 volunteers on the ground during the response phase uh, late last year. We've transitioned now into a long-term recovery phase, so we're helping to rebuild homes uh, for those people that, you know, are really at the vulnerable, the vulnerability index in their communities, people that uh, maybe are elderly, have a disability, uh, are on limited income, helping to rebuild their lives, uh, ensuring that they don't have to become homeless, they don't have to uh, you know, leave their homes behind, leave their communities behind, and, and relocate. So I've been, I personally have been down there a handful of times this year. 
I was fortunate enough to get back to Houston as we gave back our first home, as we completed it, to a woman named Estella. And it was one of the most touching moments uh, of my time with Dean Rubicon, to be able to see the joy and the relief on her face. Uh, she realized that her life was not going to fall apart as a result of the work. We're speaking with Jake Woods, CEO of Team Rubicon, about the Fueling the Frontlines initiative that Team Rubicon and Jack Links are teaming up with over the next two weeks to help U.S. communities affected by natural disasters days, weeks, months, years after they happened. Now, Jake, how do you feel veterans can contribute to this recovery process in a way that perhaps uh, other people might not be able to? Is there a specific thing that veterans add to being able to contribute to the recovery process? Well, our entire value proposition is based on, you know, the fact that we believe veterans are highly trained, highly skilled, uh, have a, a wealth of experience that makes them really good. You know, these are people who have been taught how to plan missions, how to execute operations, how to plan for logistics, identify risks, mitigate risks, and operate, you know, in environments of uncertainty and, and often chaos. And so and we have 20 million veterans in this country. Uh, Three million of those men and women serve. Uh, just since 9-11, uh, and nobody is really tapping into them as a resource. And as our communities face uh, an increase in the frequency and cost of disasters, it's really imperative that we figure out a, a better way. And I think tapping into the skill and experience of military veterans is one approach that we could take to doing that. Who are the veterans that Team Rubicon uh, is looking for, that you would like to take part in these things, that you would like to join up with Team Rubicon? Is there a perfect recruit for your organization? You know, I, I would hesitate to say that there's a perfect group for Team Rubicon. We are, we're looking for people who have service in their hearts, people who are looking to give of themselves. Uh, so, you know, if you're out there and you find yourself having served in the armed forces and still looking for that something, still looking for maybe a uniform to put on, then, you know, we're the organization for you. Now, how many veterans have taken part in Team Rubicon's efforts? I don't know if you have a, a specific number. If you can give us just an estimate of how many. I mean, like in Hurricane Harvey alone, how many did Team Rubicon have down there helping out? Well, over the last eight years, we've had over 80,000 volunteers sign up to the organization. Uh, specifically after Hurricane Harvey, we deployed over 2,000 volunteers down at the Gulf Coast region. You know, 250 volunteers in Puerto Rico another couple hundred in Florida after the hurricane there. So we're deploying people all across the country, uh, not just uh, you know, places like Hurricane Harvey, but the rural towns that are impacted by floods or wildfires. Uh, you know, we're, we are trying to build an organization that can be you know, anywhere in any corner of any state when we're needed uh, and how we're needed. Do you think that Team Rubicon, while helping those suffering from the effects of natural disasters recover, also helps veterans out as well? I mean, with the fact that there are so many who are struggling to either find work or find a sense of purpose in life, do you think that Team Rubicon uh, has helped many of those 80,000 veterans who volunteered through your organization? Yeah, there's no doubt that there is a secondary impact to work towards it. Uh, we find that the men and women who are signing up for the organization not only have the opportunity to help people who really need it and it's not a need, but that in the process of doing so, the process of serving others is really therapeutic for, the, for those volunteers. Uh, you know, we really break it down to three things. You know, we talk about a veteran's need for purpose, a veteran's need for community, and a veteran's need for identity. And we really believe that through our mission, we provide all three of those things. And, you know, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a psychologist, but, I, you know, I, I, I truly believe that that's the foundation of a healthy life and a healthy transition. 
uh, out of war and into peace. We're speaking with Jake Woods, CEO of Team Rubicon. And Jake, when it comes to the Fueling the Frontlines initiative, that's a partnership between Team Rubicon and Jack Links, which is taking place over the next couple of weeks, traveling across the country, touring basically and helping communities still affected by natural disasters that took place weeks, months, years ago. How can people support Team Rubicon and Jack Links as you go through this process? Yeah, so anybody who's interested in learning more about uh, Team Rubicon, about our partnership with JackLinks, can go to jacklinks.com uh, slash ourcause. Uh, they can learn more about the partnership there. They can also walk into just about any convenience store and uh, store on the planet and pick up a specially marked package. Uh, there's a lot of information about Team Rubicon on the JackLinks packaging right now. They can learn about the Tech to Donate campaign. All proceeds are, are going to support our rebuilding efforts. Uh, at Team Rubicon, and, and they can just find, find out just about anything that they want to learn uh, there. As we approach, as we know, hurricane season has now officially begun, I believe, and we're approaching uh, the time of year where it seems there are more natural disasters than any other time of year. Is Team Rubicon gearing up, getting prepared? Is there anything that you guys do as you head into this difficult season? Uh, we're always prepared. Uh, you know, if it's not hurricane season, it's wildfire season. If it's not wildfire season, it's tornado season. Um, there are enough bad things happening, uh, you know, from a weather standpoint in this country that we always have to be on our toes. So certainly as we enter hurricane season, uh, we're ready. Uh, we hope that it's a mild one, but the forecasts are showing that it, it could be another nasty one. But, you know, it's on We'll do that. Lastly, Jake, if there's one message you could impart to our audience and to veterans in general about Team Rubicon and about how through organizations, whether it's Team Rubicon or something like it, they might be able to find that sense of self and purpose that we've talked about, what would that message be? I think it would just be to look inside yourself and try to figure out what your passion in life is and then go find an outlet for it. Certainly, Team Rubicon is an organization where tens of thousands of volunteers have found that it's, it's their outlet, it's their purpose. We don't pretend to be for everybody, but, you know, purpose is fundamental to, to all humans, not just military veterans, and people should really strive to go out and find it. Well, we've been speaking with the CEO of Team Rubicon, Jake Wood, United States Marine Corps veteran, served his nation and now is serving his fellow Americans through the great efforts of his team over at Team Rubicon. Jake, thank you so much for joining us today. And one more time, that website, if people want to find out more about the Fueling the Frontlines initiative, where can they go to learn about that? Yeah, well, thanks for having me. And if people want to learn more, they can go to jacklinks.com slash our cause, and, and they can learn more about Team Rubicon and Fueling the Frontlines. Our thanks again to Marine Corps veteran Jake Wood, the CEO of Team Rubicon, an organization, Jake Hughes, that's doing amazing things across the country. And this Fueling the Frontlines campaign that they're doing with Jack Links is something that's going to help out people that have now been forgotten by the news media, including those people in your hometown of Houston, Texas, and, and really the entire Texas, uh, southeastern Texas area that was hammered by Hurricane Harvey last year. Now, Jake, you've been home since that hurricane hit, right? Yes. What did you see down there? Is everything all fixed? Everything back to normal? A lot of areas are fixed, but a lot of areas are still under construction, we'll say, because as I said before, the insidious thing about there down there was not necessarily the water itself, but what came after. Things like mold, things like uh, the mosquitoes carrying diseases and things like that. Not to say it's like some third world slum, but there are areas that still need a lot of work. 
you also have to consider that you're talking about a huge metro area in Houston, which is like one of the third or fourth largest fourth. cities, fourth largest in the country uh, population-wise, that has a lot of infrastructure, and there's still issues within the actual city of Houston. Now start thinking about all those little towns down along the Gulf Coast down there in Texas, the, the rural areas that don't have... One, the money that Houston does. Two, the people that Houston does, the manpower, the the focus, because it is a major city with millions and millions of people. Those little towns are really still suffering a lot of them, aren't they? Yeah, a lot of them are because, like you said, they don't have the resources. And it's weird because Texas has a big, has this weird sense of independence and in that we don't like to ask for help. So it's half of you people down there think that you're your own country. Let's be honest. Yeah. I have, I have a friend, <laughs> I have a friend who if you ask him where he's born, he'll say, I was born in our nation's capital. Oh, DC. Nope. Austin. Yes, the Republic of Texas, and there's something in the Republic or the Republic of Texas state constitution or Republic or whatever. There's something in the when when Texas agreed to become a state, they have the ability to back out basically and go be their own country. That actually exists. It's something that's kind of more theoretical than than you think will ever be used unless yeah. something really really major happens. But it, it is that place that has that. You know when you meet someone from Texas. It's very rare that you'll know someone for a few months and then be like, where are you from? Oh, I'm from Texas. They, they usually mention it pretty early in the game. So that do you think that's actually kind of a negative when it comes to looking for help and things like you know disaster relief from something like these hurricanes? Yeah, because like I said, we have a lot of pride in ourselves. And so stamping out that pride and asking for help is kind of difficult sometimes. But I'm happy to see groups like... Team Rubicon. Team Rubicon, and I'm happy to see groups like uh, Grunt Style down there helping people just out of the, the goodness of their hearts. Yep. Uh, Hill Vets, Justin Brown, who's here. You know, Hill Vets is a smaller organization when compared to somebody like, you know, Team Rubicon, Grunt Style. They're, they're a much smaller operation. They gathered together the people that they could that work with them. They traveled down there for the, uh, the Houston storms. I remember talking to Justin Brown over the phone, his Tuesday spot where he comes in and talks to us on each show. They, he, he was down in Texas calling in and keeping us up to date on what they were doing, including mucking the houses, which was, again, as you said, the weather, the after effects, the heat, that heat and humidity that you have down in, in, in the Houston area was as big or a bigger problem than the water itself with the destruction of homes, the molds that just crept up and all of this damage that today many of those homes uh, are, are no longer uh, in danger, I would say, but are still not livable. Right. People don't have, uh, you know, some some people didn't have flood insurance, didn't have the ability to cover it with insurance. So where are you going to get the money to basically fix your entire home top to bottom? It's uh, it's something that can be incredibly devastating. And Houston is just one example. When's the last time you heard about Puerto Rico? Yeah, that's really tragic is that we forgot because Puerto Rico got hit, like we mentioned earlier in the show, they got hit worse than Houston did. They got hurt worse than anyone ever has. Higher death toll than Hurricane Katrina, Superstorm Sandy. You list a storm in the United States, it is now less deadly than when Hurricane Maria slammed into Puerto Rico, Florida, or other territories uh, down in the uh, Caribbean as well. I mean, this was a devastating storm, and listen— I understand how the news cycle works. I've worked in news media for quite a while. Before here, I worked at a, a news radio station, the number one news radio station in the country. There are things that were important, but the, the news cycle keeps chugging along. New things come up. People start saying, like, oh, we've heard about that enough times. Why are you still talking about that? That's just kind of the nature of the beast when it comes to the news cycle. The fact is, the problems don't go away just because the media stops reporting on it. 
That's a, that's an absolute fact. And look at Puerto Rico. Look at Houston. Listen, man, I'm, I I was living in Long Island, New York, when Superstorm Sandy hit and just decimated the Northeast. Perhaps the place with the most infrastructure of anywhere in the country, the most population of anywhere in the country. That that corridor from here, from Washington, D.C., up to Boston, you have more people living uh, per square mile in that area than anywhere else in the country. Tons of money. Some of the most wealthy places in the country are, are located in that region. doesn't matter when Mother Nature decides that uh, she's going to come on through and wreck stuff. And, you know, when we were in Long Island, there were multi-hour waits to get gasoline we didn't have power for like over a week my mother-in-law's house just kind of out in the woods in long island they didn't have power for longer than that there are still issues even in the most urban area in the country that northeast corridor there are still still issues relating to superstorm sandy they just took down that roller coaster that was out in the water off the coast of new jersey that washed out into the water uh, fairly recently i mean it was out there for a couple of years this is ridiculous stuff for us to forget about and if you're living there you obviously don't forget about it but if it's not front and center for you it's easy to move on to something else Thankfully, there are groups like Team Rubicon and their CEO, Jake Wood, and Jack Link's Beef Jerky, who's teaming up with them uh, to put a little bit more money behind this. You know, Jack Link's, they're doing pretty well, man. Beef Jerky is one of those markets. It's always going to be there. I yeah. pick up a pack of Beef Jerky uh, many days uh, on my way home or I'm on a trip or something like that. They've got the successful commercials. Uh, you know, they, they've got, they're, they're doing pretty well. They're doing something to give back to the community and doing so through this organization like Team Rubicon, which, as Jake said, not only helps people, and we're talking about Jake Wood, not Jake Hughes, to, to clarify for people. As I Jake, help. As Jake Wood said, Team Rubicon not only helps those who were affected by these natural disasters, it's also helping the veteran volunteers who are involved, giving them that sense of purpose, that sense of community, that thing that you know many of us just don't have when we get out, at least certainly don't have on the level that you had in the military. Even somebody like me who tended to work at small commands, small teams for the majority of my 13 years, I do miss that sometimes. I miss being able to, uh, you know, having some petty officer first class association function to go out to and things like that. I don't have anything like that around here. Although I could if I joined up with Team Rubicon. And if you're interested, go check out Team Rubicon's website. And that website is teamrubiconusa.org. One of the amazing groups comprised of veterans, founded by veterans. Again, William McNulty and Jake Wood, Marine Corps veterans, founded Team Rubicon, and Jake is the CEO of it. And again, we want to thank him for his time here on The Morning Briefing. And we want to encourage you to go check us out at ConnectingVets.com, of course. And you'll see a story going up later on today on what Team Rubicon and Jack Link's Beef Jerky are doing to ensure that we don't forget about those who were initially affected by those natural disasters and are still affected today. Speaking of things that initially affected people and are still affecting them, burn pits. It's gaining a lot of steam, a lot of momentum. It's a big legislative issue for many of the veteran service organizations and, of course, the veterans who have, were affected by those burn pits in Iraq, in Afghanistan, places where the military was disposing of everything from medical waste to metal to aircraft parts, just throwing them into a fire and that smoke creeping its way over towards our servicemen and women. It's a significant issue that's been compared by some to the Agent Orange issue dating back to Vietnam. There are hearings coming on Capitol Hill, and the VFW is going to join us right after this. We're going to talk to one of the veterans who's going to be testifying at those hearings. Morning Briefing, back after this.
helping military veterans stay connected. We make it easy. We are CBS Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting vets every day. Online and all over social media. Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter at Connecting Vets. Welcome back to the morning briefing on Intercom Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting Vets Every Day is our slogan because it's what we do. Our team is comprised entirely of veterans working to make sure that you have the information that you need, the information that you want, the information that you might need but don't even know you need and you definitely would want if you knew about it. But now you're going to learn by visiting ConnectingVets.com or following us on social media where we are at Connecting Vets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. A little click of your mouse or tap on your phone and you will be living your best veteran life with information provided to you by the ConnectingVets.com team. So go do it now. While you're doing that, take a listen to this next interview. He is a member of the Veterans of Forum Wars. In fact, he's their Associate Legislative Director for National Headquarters of the VFW. Mr. Ken Wiseman returns to the morning briefing. Ken, how are you doing today? I am great. It is great to be back. A lot of times I've been here. I think I'm going to get that little punch card that says on my 10th visit I get free coffee. Well, we have free coffee over there. Okay, so that there saves me yeah, from the punch card. You don't even need the punch card. Yeah, I, I, can't, I hate carrying coffee. things in my wallet. So <laughs> yeah. You could feasibly, since, since you, know, you guys are here every Friday and you've been here several times, probably uh, work your way into the office even not on a Friday and be like yeah I'm here for an interview and then just get some free coffee <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm here for an interview at the coffee pot it would be a a long way to work around uh, to get some free coffee but sometimes it can be worth it free of course is free you know <laughs> working for veterans issues is definitely worth it and that's a big part of what the VFW is doing absolutely not just for the members who are all veterans of foreign wars as it says right there in the title but for the veteran community in general one specific item, Ken, that you guys are working on, as are many of the other v, uh, the other VSOs, is this burn pit issue. And in Correct. fact, there's going to be some hearings coming up on Capitol Hill. And as I understand it, Ken Wiseman is going to be one of the people talking at those hearings. So tell us about your involvement in this burn pit legislation issue. So thanks for having us. It's always great to be back. The burn pit issue is very keen on the VFW's radar because we do have a lot of Iraq, Afghanistan, Gulf War veterans that served uh, and who were exposed to burn pits. And honestly, they were they were used in other places too. So we can't just talk about a single generation. We will be testifying on June the 7th. And you can go to the House Committee on Veterans Affairs website to watch that. It'll be on their YouTube channel. It'll be archived there as well. We're going to be talking about the impact uh, on women veterans. We're going to be talking about the impact on children of future generations. We're going to be talking about the need to do research. Fix the registry. We have to fix the registry. The VFW specifically yeah. wants the registry to be able to connect to the new electronic health record that VA is going to roll out in concert with DOD. When you go to the doctor, it should update the record, uh, and that's also following you in the registry as well. That way you can do longitudinal studies. We also believe, like our friends at Burn Pit 360 have done in their registry, we believe that it should be a registry, the VA's registry should be one that your surviving spouse can update. When you die from whatever... Uh, we're definitely going to want to know what the whatever is. And that way, if it's connected to the burn pit exposure, again, it feeds into the research. The research feeds into making hard connections between set conditions and burn pit exposures, which then leads into a presumptive conditions list. Think like Agent Orange. There are 14 conditions that we presume are connected to Agent Orange. When you file your VA claim, I do VA claims for the VFW, I'm fully accredited, so I can talk about this authoritatively. When you do a VA claim for Agent Orange for those 14 conditions, the evidence burden is greatly reduced. Because we assume 
you were boots on ground, or as is about to be, Blue Water Navy folks are going to be coming in soon, been working on that one too, huge. They are going to have to show much less evidence. Our goal is the same thing long-term with burn pits. Much less evidence, presumptive conditions, we move on. Of course, when we talk about the Blue Water Navy Agent Orange issue, there's a tie to the burn pit issue, uh, hopefully one that uh, loses some of its significance. But when we talk about the Blue Water Navy getting access to benefits for exposure to Agent Orange, which we know they were exposed to, it was on their ships, it was coming off the shore, they were loading it onto aircraft. Yes. We're talking four-plus decades since the end of the Vietnam War, and we are just now getting benefits for those sailors. Actually, I have to correct you. Those sailors had benefits when the Agent Orange Act was first passed. They pulled 90, almost 100,000 veterans out about a year and a half later when they wrote the regulations associated with the law. The VFW is very clear in this position. We're not getting new benefits. We are returning what was rightfully theirs and wrongfully taken away. It was an immoral act. What was the reasoning behind that? Because this is actually, yeah, we've been talking about this a lot, but that's the first I've heard about it. I just always heard that, no, they never had benefits, so they did. So the argument was that being offshore, the water that they drank, as you may or may not know, the water they drank is pulled up through uh, Navy distillation plants. I was in the Navy. So So was I. Yeah, that's right. Not a lot of time on ships, but still. Well, I I did all my time on ships and submarines, except for a hitch teaching in Hawaii. Tough job there. Um, So what it is, they suck the water out of the ocean, and they they, – run it through a distillation plant, reverse osmosis, and in some cases, flash steam, and they can make fresh water out of it by taking the salt out of it. The truth is, and science has proven this, but the VA said that the science there wasn't enough science to support it. And so they said that there wasn't enough science to say that the water was contaminated, and therefore you should not uh, have the same benefits as those who were on land and directly exposed. But science actually shows that the dioxin, which is a chemical in Agent Orange that's deadly, is amplified. The impact is amplified when you run it through Navy distillation plants. And so, yes, the, it is there. The, the connection is there. Uh, unfortunately, it has been a long time. You're right. Um, and a lot of things come into play. But I'm happy to say that Congress finally has done the right thing. We've been able to put politics aside, and we've been able to find a way to pay for this that cuts no benefits. No one is losing a nickel. How do we make sure that the same thing, that same delay or a pullback of benefits doesn't happen with uh, any benefits that arise out of this burn pit issue? Strong advocacy. We're going to need organizations like the VFW and other veterans organizations. If you qualify for an organization, you need to join. And I'll say that if you should join the VFW if you're eligible. But, you know, if you're not eligible for the VFW, you qualify some other organization, you need to do that. The VSOs are on Capitol Hill every single day. We're advocating. We are your lobbyists. And you are, in our opinion, the most special of special interests. And so we're going to have to do that because a simple vote takes everything away, regardless of what topic area you're talking about. If you want to talk about the national parks, they could go in and take a vote and do away with all the park rangers. Theoretically, they can do that. And so that's how this works as well. We're speaking with the Associate Legislative Director for the Veterans of Foreign Wars, VFW, Ken Wiseman, Navy veteran, about this burn pit issue and so much more that we're going to talk about today. But, of course, Ken, you're preparing to testify on Capitol Hill coming up a little bit less than a week from now. Next Thursday, I believe you said it's going to be. What? are you going to say to them to make sure that they understand exactly how important and how significant this issue is? So we're going to lobby for a couple of things through this testimony. First of all, the research is key. There's a current program called the Congressionally Directed Medical Research Program, and it's run through the appropriations process for the Defense Department, believe it or not. They put money aside to research specific things. Currently, we see that there are a lot of great conditions on there to research because of their impact on veterans, and Gulf War illness is one of those. 
year over year, there's been a steady $20 million. This year, it's actually going to be $21 million and then, uh, for research, and there's some great results coming out of that research. We want a similar CDMRP program for burn pits. That way, there's dedicated government funding to do research. We want research to be done in a way that is uh, truly academic, and so we're going to also call for the National Academy of Medicine to do a body of research review, which will go out and look at research that ha has been done, and then also try to find gaps where there needs to be more research done. There was a great study done, and you're going to hear me talk about this study. It was actually done by VA uh, doctors and researchers, and they found a real connection uh, between veterans who deployed to Afghanistan and Iraq and asthma. They found that there was an increase, a later-in-life onset increase in asthma amongst those veterans. They, hmm. they interviewed about 6,200 veterans in New York, and it was a very controlled, stable study. They found a real connection. That type of research needs to be brought up to the front spotlight so we can talk about those things because our members, VFW members, tell us that they are facing debilitating conditions. I just talked to a VFW member yesterday, um, a young woman um, in her late 20s. She had to get a hysterectomy. That's not normal. No. She has two children. One was born with autism and one was born uh, with seizures. And so that's not normal. She had her kids tested. They have high levels of metal, heavy metals in their blood. So one of the other things that we're going to call for is uh, two things, actually. We're going to call for the use of the Toxic Exposure Research Act, which was passed uh, last year. Uh, the point of Terra uh, is to do research on the impact of toxic exposures on follow-on generations. So how the uh, process of having a child passes on the contamination you've exposed to that child. We're also going to talk about the impact on women. VA needs to do better about including women in research. And we are talking about likely having to, in some cases, overrepresent women because of the numbers, the way that the numbers play out in the writ large population as a whole. Uh, and then we do the, the research and we find these connections because women are having significant problems and VA does not have good research to go on. It's not that we're blaming VA. We want them to have the tools. And again, that's what the advocacy part's about. We will blame somebody when they're wrong, but we will help them and empower them when they just need a bit more. We're at that point with this on VA. We need to move them forward, clear out some of the politics. And so there are going to be some, some uh, great examples, anecdotal evidence of people who have these problems. And uh, we're going to be calling for that. And uh, it's, it's going to be a really good one. We owe so much to those who have served. And uh, our generation is already dying because of burn pits. And so it's time to get on this. Long term, you'll also see that when these connections are made, the surviving spouses will also have the ability to access some VA benefits. There's the, the so-called widows or widowers pension. Uh, it's, and, and, and it's one of those things that we'll be able to help with. And so this isn't in the short term, and this isn't just veterans. This is writ large those who have uh, borne the battle. Uh, as Lincoln said, we must care for those who have borne the battle. And uh, we must also care for their families. And so that's what our goal with this testimony is. Is there any pushback? I mean, we know about like uh, Congresswoman Gabbard and Congressman Mass, two veterans coming together Great to uh, put this forward with that bill. It's fantastic. We support that. Is there any pushback in Congress on this burn pit issue, or is it something that it seems everybody agrees on, which is, is very rare for that to happen? Oh, that's a good question. So it's not that they don't think there's a connection. The critics will want science, and that will help in a lot of ways. The problem is going to be that those critics are later just going to say, well, how do we pay for this? BFW is not in the business of coming up with pay-fors. We're in the business of telling people that part of the cost of war is caring for veterans. And so we've got a lot of supporters on both sides of the aisle, like you see uh, Mr. Mast and Ms. Gabbard coming together, that we think that uh, long-term we're going to be able to win this one. And I will say this, Vietnam veterans are not – being quiet about this one. 
they have fought their battle with Agent Orange, and uh, our good friends at Vietnam Veterans of America have said that no future generation should face what they faced. And so we, uh, we look forward to working with VVA and a lot of Vietnam veterans to make sure this is not one more generation facing a big thing. We're speaking with Ken Wiseman, Associate Legislative Director for the Veterans of Forum Wars, on his upcoming testimony on burn pit legislation that's uh, moving forward on Capitol Hill, an issue that many people are focusing on more and more as we work out some of the uh, previous big items. Of course, the VA Mission Act addressing some things when it comes to choice and caregiver benefits. There are going to be others that gain more and more importance and get put more on the front burner, and burn pits is certainly one of those that is gaining steam. Beyond the legislation, Ken, Let's look at it this way. In most states, it's illegal for you to even burn like brush, to put twigs and leaves and stuff out there. Is this something that we can uh, work on getting the military to stop practicing, throwing metal and medical waste and all the other crap that they put in these burn pits? What can we do to address the future so that this stops happening overall? Well, the good news is that in the House version of the National Defense Authorization Act, there was an amendment to make the Department of Defense take that first step towards not using burn pits. They have to do a study to lay out how they would phase them out. That is always the first step. I know it's not sexy. Let's do a study about something we already know is killing people. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But you got to do it. And so it's the first bureaucratic hurdle. And the reason you do those is because you bring people together. We, we can agree to go look at this. We can agree that long-term we should phase this out. We may not be able to, to agree with enough votes that we have to do it today. It's poli 101. And so we're, the VFW supports that amendment, uh, and we hope that uh, the Senate will include it. We hope the president will sign a version of the National Defense Authorization Act with that included, because that'll be the first step. You're absolutely right. The EPA would come to your house. And you're burning dry you're leaves. Burn, you're burning the, the trees <laughs> down, man. What are you doing? Could you imagine Bo Cephas working for the EPA with his overalls on and a straw hat and talking about industrial compounds? <laughs> burning plastic i mean i'm 34 years old when i was a kid i was told hey don't burn plastic it stinks yeah styrofoam and it'll bad make to you put cough. in the fire yeah and actually what we find out is it causes lung cancer i mean you know hey i learned that when i was a kid and somehow we didn't learn it in iraq and afghanistan but we're gonna learn it now and the impact is real and so we're gonna have to do something when it comes to who should be eligible for any sort of benefits with burn pits are we talking just about the people who were in workspaces and living spaces that were within a certain distance of a burn pit? Or is it really anybody who was over there? Because if you were in Iraq or Afghanistan, listen, where I was stationed, Camp Marmal in Afghanistan, if there was a burn pit there, I don't know where it was. It was a different place, very multinational place. But some places that I went to, I did see them. I saw them at Bagram Air Base. I saw them other locations. Who is going to be eligible for this, and how do we determine that? Or is it just going to be a wide blanket over pretty much everybody who went over there? So, obviously, the first thing we need to do is have science that lays out which conditions. I don't want you stabbing in the dark for a condition that may or may not be connected. I want you to know what is connected. Secondly, uh, where these burn pits were located is actually well mapped. And so we're going to be able to be very precise uh, in, in which will mean a system with integrity, a stable platform that you can file your claim in. And probably our goal would be a process that means less appeals. Now, when we talk about the presumptive conditions list, that's never, ever, ever going to take away a veteran's right to file for benefits. And the VFW supports your right to file for benefits. You want to go fight and make a connection? Let's do that. And there is clear examples of where that's happening. On the Korea DMZ, they used Agent Orange uh, from uh, starting in 1967. 
And right now, though, the law says April 1st, 1968. We're getting that changed as part of the Blue Water Navy deal. It'll go to September 1st, 1967. We are aware of a case where a veteran used buddy statements to prove his exposure and the problems that he has are service-connected. And what he used was very clear statements. And the administrative law judge at VA said that the statements were so clear it could not be false. One veteran, one of his buddies, actually remembered the serial number on the barrel of Agent Orange that they used. Wow. And so... You'll always be able as an individual veteran to have your fight, and the VFW will be there to help you. But if we can come up with this system that is precise and is good and has science and it makes it easier for a lot of veterans, then hell yeah, we're going to go do that. We're speaking with Ken Wiseman, Associate Legislative Director for the Veterans of Foreign Wars, about this burn pit issue that keeps gaining importance. And it's something that I think we all realize could be the next Agent Orange may already be the next Agent Orange, but we need to address it differently than Agent Orange was original, originally addressed. Of course, you learn something new every day, and today I learned that Blue Water Navy veterans actually had access to Agent Orange benefits and then had them taken away after a year or so. So this is something that is of, of great importance. We're seeing legislative movement on it. We've got these hearings coming up. There's you know, hopefully going to be more and more uh, studies done on this and science to get you know everything you know, every T crossed, every I dotted. What's your hope as far as the ability to get through these necessary changes to uh, the uh, the benefits related to burn pits? And do you have any idea of a timeline when we could start seeing some wholesale changes? Well, uh, again, you can already file a claim as an individual veteran. The, the goal for the presumptive conditions list is not something I could even begin to put a timeline on. Um, we're going to have to do some research. It's going to take a little time to get to that. I'll, I'll admit to that. It's going to take some time. My goal in all of this, and you know, when you work for an organization, whether it's a company, a nonprofit, a whatever, you have to believe in the values of the organization. The VFW believes that every day is Veterans Day, and we work to prove that no one does more for veterans. And so if we're able to help veterans start winning their claims and we can take that process and make the burden easier for some conditions, if not a lot of conditions, we will do that. That's the goal. The goal is that the veterans service shouldn't be something that they have to reprove. They shouldn't have to re-authenticate and revalidate themselves. It should literally be, here's my honorable discharge. Here's the proof that I was, you know, in Iraq or Afghanistan, likely near this, this burn pit. And then here's my diagnosis from a doctor. There shouldn't be a thousand hoops to jump through and there shouldn't be a hundred pages. You know, it's a 10 page form to file a VA claim. Six of the pages are just directions. <laughs> and the other four pages, look, literally when I do a claim and I hit print, I'm only starting on page seven to print it. It's absurd. Yeah, it certainly sounds like it, of course. Absurd, but not surprising. The bureaucratic issues that we have at the VA and the military and government overall, uh, they, they may be shocking, but at the same time, they're never really all that surprising. When we talk about these claims, as it stands now, if someone believes that they have a condition that was caused by the burn pits, if you're, let's say you're a Marine that was down in Helmand province and you were standing guard at a guard shack and there was a burn pit and the smoke would come through and just, I mean, be hitting you constantly. Is it something where you need to verify it with documentation, like trying to find, you know, log books saying that, oh yeah, he was on watch this many times there and that kind of thing? Yes. Yeah, so evidence, uh, what evidence is, is actually kind of interesting. It, there's a pretty liberal consideration for what evidence is. So I know a lot of folks like to take photos when they were over. If you got photos of you and your buddies near the burn pits, you need to keep those. If you got buddies that are with you that are sick now and you see that there are similar symptoms, if several of you are chronic bronchitis sufferers, if you several of you now have asthma, you need to get together and write those buddy statements. If you've got 
um, if you've got in your performance evaluations where it talks about you ran the burn pit, you need to save those. Yeah. It's literally anything that proves your connection to it. Yes, you are going to need some medical evidence. And so to that end, I would say, and I hope every sergeant major is listening to me, go to medical. I hope every senior NCO and junior officer is listening to me when I say that if you stop your service member from going to medical, you're screwing them. They need to go to medical and report the problems they have. They need to get clear diagnosis, get a pulmonary function test, have something diagnosed, have something diagnosed because there is the primary condition, the thing that is actually connected to the burn pits. But if those conditions cause other conditions as well, those become secondary conditions and we can connect them to go to medical and get a good diagnosis in service because that's the most important. We can use it out of service if you've got that other evidence I talked about, but the in service is paramount. There are a lot of things that people need to do uh, that they just don't know about or they don't know how to go about doing it. One is filing a claim. And as we move into our last few minutes here, Ken, I know you're a bit of a subject matter expert on this one. So when we talk about filing claims, what are some of the biggest, um, you think, concerns that you have about what veterans do and don't do when it comes to filing claims with the VA? Well, first, they don't go to medical enough. You need to prove you have a chronic problem, which means more than once in a six-month period. It's not acute. It's got to be chronic. Secondly, if uh, if they tell you that uh, you have patellofemoral syndrome, that just means knee pain. Go get an MRI and an X-ray and figure out what's really wrong with your knee. And and I use that as an example of they give you an answer and you think that's enough of an answer. It's not. It's never enough. Go back, get another diagnosis. Think about uh, you know the impact of seeing a second doctor and getting a second opinion. Get your medical record. I cannot explain that one enough because so many people show up on my doorstep with nothing. Sometimes they don't even have their DD-214s. I can help you get records, but it slows the process down. I'll also tell you that you need to keep multiple copies of your record. If you've got a fireproof safe or if you've got a lockbox down at the bank, put a copy of your record and a DD-214 in there because it's not only your benefits, it's also for your spouse and surviving children if you die because the VFW can represent them as well. I'll tell you that you can come see the VFW. We will never bill you one penny to do your claim. It's against the law for the VFW to bill you. And it's not just VFW members who can do that. That's right. right. Any veteran can walk in our door. We are highly trained. We have nearly 2,000 folks uh, that are accredited uh, through Title 38 of the United States Code, and the VFW sponsors it. Uh, we go through annual training. I have a criminal background check. I have minimum minimum standards I have to meet. We have this cadre of folks that uh, – are great at what we do. Last year, we represented 500,000 veterans and helped claim $7.7 billion in benefits. Wow. It's what we do. And it's why we were founded. We helped write all these laws about what VSOs can do and not do. And so come see us. And if you're getting ready to get out of the military, you can file your claim between 90 and 180 days prior to discharge, but call us a year out so that we can be the devil's advocate and, and say, you need a little more here and a little more there, and then you're really ready to go. There are so many things that are available to veterans to help them out that they don't know about. When it comes to a, a claim relating to their health, that can help out not just them, but their families, their Absolutely. spouses, their children. So incredibly important that they get that done. Now, I think the point is that it makes it easier if you went to medical while you were in the military. If yeah. you have something that after your service you think is related to your service might be a little bit harder to prove but it is still something that it's, can be done it's right? still doable yeah go get a clear diagnosis from a doctor and have them say that this condition is at least as likely as not connected to military service then we're going to rummage through your other medical records to look for that time you may have complained about it but didn't get that clear diagnosis 
We're going to look for the evidence from your buddies for things like the burn pits, the photos, and the whatnot. Um, it's amazing what we can dig out. I helped a Vietnam veteran with his claim. He actually got a citation from the South Vietnamese Army. It was a brigadier general who was chief of the South Vietnamese Signal Corps. He gave this uh, this Army veteran a citation, and we used that to be his proof that he was in Vietnam. And then we helped him with Parkinson's claim. Yeah, it's crazy what we can use for evidence, but you got to have it. We at least have the benefit in this generation of there being uh, better record keeping, I would say. Yes. And those records, uh, you know, th there would be things before where everything was on paper, where if you had a fire, things were just gone. Gone. They and there was a huge fire, good. in fact. And a lot of veterans did lose their records. That's yeah. why keeping a copy is so important. Also important is the work that the veteran service organizations like the Veterans of Foreign Wars are doing. Ken Wiseman is the Associate Legislative Director of the VFW. Ken, as we finish up here in our final minute, if people are eligible for the VFW and haven't joined, what do you say to that person? You need to go to vfw.org for membership and benefit questions. We're always here to help you. Come join the party. Come join us because you make us one voice stronger on Capitol Hill. There you go. And even if you are eligible and you decide not to join, guess what? The VFW is still going to help you out through their service officer program and in so many other ways. We want to thank Ken Wiseman, Associate Legislative Director for the VFW, for joining us today, as well as Jake Wood, the CEO of Team Rubicon. Again, TeamRubiconUSA.org is the website. They're teaming up with Jack Link's Beef Jerky for the Fueling the Frontlines campaign. They're going to be touring across the country on their way down to Houston, bringing attention to so many people that need it even weeks, months, years after those disasters occur. This has been the Morning Briefing Friday edition. Have a great weekend. See you Monday. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.